reading was going on, I was amening a lot, seeing if I can get a rouse out of the front row. And Sarai just turned around and looked at me and goes, <laughs> when they talked about obey and honor parents and all that, I'm amen and everything. Today, I was waiting for them to do that to me, but they didn't do it. So they did not return evil with evil. Thank you so much for that. Um, they did great. So praise the Lord for that. And, um, yes. Amen. Here we go. How do you raise? You ever wonder how you can raise a delinquent child? Um, this, this is an interesting thing. The Houston Police Department actually came out with how you can raise a delinquent child. Listen to some of the stuff that they talk about that you can do if you want to raise a delinquent child. One of them is begin with infancy and give them whatever they want. This way they'll grow up believing that the world owes them. And they'll believe that. Here's another one. Avoid using the word wrong. It might uh, give a guilt complex if you do that. So don't, don't use that. And then, then they'll think that society is against them and they're being persecuted whenever they do something wrong. So avoid the word. Here's another one. Pick up everything they leave lying around. This will cause them to throw responsibilities on others when they get older. They'll say, it's not my responsibility. I don't need to work. I don't need to do this. I don't need to do that. Everyone else needs to do that. So just pick up everything they leave lying around, their toys, their clothes, their everything, and we can go on there. Uh, take their part against the neighbors, the teachers, and the policemen. They'll grow up believing that the world is a prejudiced place and everyone's against your child. Here's an interesting one from the Houston Police Department. Listen to this. Never give them spiritual training. Let them wait till they're 21 to figure it out. And when they'll figure it out, they'll figure things out. They'll decide for themselves. Don't, don't give them any spiritual training. Let them. And then it says this at the end of the list. They have 12. I'm only giving you five here. It says at the end of the list, prepare yourself for a life of grief because you surely will have it. As you raise your children this way. You know, it's when we think about this and how we handle young people, it's not so much what we do that really matters. It's sometimes what we don't do that really affects them. And, and I'm not just talking about your own children. I'm talking about all children. If you're a grandfather, if you're a teacher, whatever it may be, this can relate to, to, to helping children be all that God wants them to be. It's not so much what we do. It's sometimes what we don't do. And, and really, here, here's what happens here. He starts the verse off by, by saying this in verse 4. He says, fathers. So all mothers can breathe. Amen? Right? All mothers are off the hook here. Is that what he's trying to say? No. no you know why? Wow, you guys are on fire. I wish the team was on fire like this. But again, you know, the fathers, really what he's talking about here, this word is used of mothers and fathers. But the Bible does put the responsibility, the load upon the man in the home, the father. But, but it doesn't take the responsibility off the mother. Really, both parents need to be in this. Both need to be doing this. You read the Proverbs. In Proverbs 6.20, it says, My son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your what? Mother. mother. Both are involved. But we live in a society or in a world where now daycare is involved. Nannies are involved. Institutions are involved. 
and grandparents are not only involved, they take it over. And so instead of the responsibility upon the parents, now they're hoping that the institution will help their kids be all that God wants them to be. Or helping that their nanny will help the, their kids be all that God wants them to be. Or maybe the daycare will help. And I'm not saying those things are wrong. Maybe they can help out. But, but to put the responsibility on them rather than what God puts the responsibility upon. Both need to be involved. And it's sad to see that today we see a lot of families for the American dream, living the American dream, both parents are not involved at all in the lives of the children because they need that bigger house or they need a longer vacation or they need the nice cars or they're going off to college so I got to kill myself and make sure that I do everything I can so I can provide for college and yet they're not in the home, they're not being with the children. And we think that if we give them this better life, they're going to they're gonna be happy when yet they miss out on the very thing that God created them and helped them to have as a family. I, I, when we went back to, to New York, one of the things that really hit me is I saw cousin after cousin come out of the woodwork. By the way, if you mess with me, there are a lot of a stream of people out there. <laughs> I didn't realize that. There are a lot of us. A lot of us. And we all look the same. We all got one eyebrow. Amen? I mean, my brother looks like Bert from Bert and Ernie. He's got this thick eyebrow. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, I'm telling you, we all, we all look, I mean, it's just great. But somebody said, how are you going to see him? We were in this big park. They're like, how are we going to find your family? I said, just look for the noses. You'll find them. They all got, they're all Italians with schnozzes this big. I mean, you're going to find them. It was beautiful. And they were like, this is your cousin, this is your cousin, this is your cousin. I'm like, man, I feel great here. I mean, it was great. But you know what? I lived years without them. Years. And, and, and yeah, I had a better life, quote unquote, in another place. But I didn't have them. And it made me realize, wow, I missed out. I love having family. And see, we miss this out. We think that we put it on other people's responsibilities, you know, and you miss out. And what, what really does, I love what uh, Howard Hendricks says about parents. Children aren't looking for perfect parents, praise God. But they are looking for honest parents. An honest, progressing parent is a highly infectious person. So really what children want is transparency. They, they don't want somebody who thinks they know it all. They want somebody who's growing in the Lord, who understands they make their mistakes, that admits their mistakes. They're honest people. They're, they're progressively growing in Christ. That's what they're looking for. And so if we can provide that and really know what God would want out of our lives, maybe things would be different in the home. So we ask ourselves, what does God want out of parents? I mean, what does he expect out of us? I mean, aren't we supposed to break our backs to provide better homes and bigger cars and, and a better education? Is that what God wants? What does God want? Really, in this passage, he mentions two little things, two small things, two quick things, two very hard things. I wish it was easy. Two small little things. Look at it. Do not provoke their children to anger. We're going to see that what that means in a moment. And then the second thing, bring them up. Nurture them. Love them. Bring them up. And we're going to see that in a moment. So just two things here. And there's strong contrast. Don't do this. 
but do this. Don't go this way because this way is very easy. Go this way, he's going to tell us, right? Right here in the passage, the beautiful passage. First thing he says, don't provoke your children to what? Anger. Don't drive them to get mad. Don't cause them to go into that temper tantrum. Don't do it. Now, let me just tell you this. Kids have a very small fuse. I've very, very rarely have I met a kid with, that's very patient. We can get them upset in a heartbeat, in a second. And I tell you, as a kid, my mom used to like to watch this because I would blow up real quick and I would start throwing my stuffed animals. And she would say, watch this, watch this. Jeremy's going to go in his room and throw his stuffed animals. So they would do something. I'd go into my room. You, 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 you. And that was cute. And then we had kids, and I knew how to push their buttons. And I mean, and some had a really small, I'm not going to mention, you know, some names here, but some had a really, one of them, wow, would blow up in a heartbeat. I mean, you just look at the kid, and just mad, to the point where I had airport security around me. And I'm a pastor. Asking me if I was beating my kid in the airport as the kid was laying down throwing a temper tantrum for nothing. I did nothing. And they're like, and then, and then, I mean, you hear these stories, but you think it's never going to happen to me. It happened to me. The, the, the airline lady comes out, looks at the kid. I won't mention who, what name, but man. And uh, looks at the kid and goes, all right, we're going to see. Did he calm down? Oh, did he calm down? All right, so one of the two. Did they calm down? Did they calm down? Calm down? Okay, we'll let you on the plane. They weren't going to let us on the plane. We get on the plane. This kid was smart. Didn't throw a temper tantrum as we're going onto the plane. We get down. I couldn't sit down. Every time I sat down, cried. So I had to stand walking the kid in the, uh, I'm walking, I'm walking, 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 walking. As soon as I sat down, I got up again, walking, walking. So then I said, this is it. I'm done with this. I'm going to go into the bathroom and I'm going to teach this kid a lesson. So I go into the bathroom and I shut the door and his thumb got caught in the door. And he started to scream. They thought I was killing him in the bathroom. I came out. I'm not hitting him. I swear you, I'm not hitting him. I didn't touch him. I didn't touch him. I did not do anything to him. That was the worst trip of my life. What did we do to get him mad? Nothing. Let me just tell you, as mad as the kid was when he, when he was younger, is as sweet as he is now, by God's grace. Um, so there is, there is some great things later on. But there are things that we can do as parents to push their buttons. To shut the door on their thumbs. To cause them to cry and to be frustrated. You say, what are they? Look at some of these things. You want to get your kid upset? Fail to take into account that they're kids. I remember one parent getting so upset. They're like, man, I can't believe my kid, my kid, my kid. Uh, really, the kid's acting like a two-year-old. I said, how old is your kid? He's two. Wow. What do you expect? 
But yet this parent expected perfection out of their kids and they failed to take into account that their kids, they spill milk, they spill paint, they break doors, they break things. If you love your house more than your kids, you're in trouble. They break stuff, they, they do things, they touch things and they break it. Uh, their kids... They, and then they start driving the cars and and they don't treat the cars like you would want them to treat it. And they eat their wrappers and throw They're kids. You go out with the tennis team and uh, you see them at the, and they got time to spare. That was the worst part of the whole tournament. They had time to spare and they act like, guess what? Teenagers. <laughs> and sometimes I'm ready to like just... But then I'm like, wait a minute. They are teenagers. <laughs> I forgot about that. They, I forget about it. And sometimes we fail to take into account that they're kids. The other thing that we can do that really bothers young people is to compare them to others. Let me, let me tell you what this does. When you start comparing to others, it leads to one or two things. When you start saying, well, I'm so glad you don't act like so-and-so in church. You are so sweet and everything. The kid starts to get pride. I'm a pretty good kid. I don't act like the other ones on the tennis team. I'm a pretty good one. And then when you start picking out the goody two-shoes in the tennis team or somewhere else and say, look at that one who acts really nice, now the kid gets what? Discouraged. He'll never live up. And so comparing them to others, thank God that each child is a unique gift from God. And they're all different. That's why I love all four of them. They're all different. They're all different. So don't compare them to others. Constant nagging. Oh, they love that stuff. Did you clean your room? 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 Did you pick it up? Did you pick it up? Did you clean your room? Did you clean your room? Constant. Who likes that? Constant nagging. Pressuring them to pursue your goals rather than your own, their own. This is a very important one. A lot of parents live their dream through their children. I've always wanted to be an MLB player. Now I got a switch hitter in my family. This is it. And pressuring them to live your dream. I told Ellie, you pick a college. You don't pick the college that I hoped I would have been to or whatever. You pick the college that God's bringing you to. Because I don't want to live my dream through them. That's a lot of pressure. And sometimes parents put that pressure on them and children don't know what to do. And then this inconsistent discipline that we're all guilty of. That one day they get away with something, the next day we're on top of them, the next day they get away with it, the next day we're on top of them, and this inconsistent, they don't know what to do. Here's what happens when, when, when we do this to children. It says in, in Colossians 3.21, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Don't bring them to the point where they're like, I don't know what to do. I, I can't believe it that before Ellie, Ellie was in the, in, the, in the belly, we took a youth group from Iowa to New York City. And this kid who had a really hard father, I mean, his father was really hard on him. I said something to him, hey, you need to do this, you need to do that. And he just started burst. He just started crying. He says, I don't know what I need to do. I don't know what I need to do. He was exasperated. It says here in this passage, do not exasperate your children. Why? They'll lose heart. They'll become discouraged and they'll say, now what do I do with my life? What do I do? Everything I do, he's on top of me. I don't understand what to do here. So here's the contrast. 
Don't do that. Don't bring them up. Don't do that. But here's what you ought to do. Bring them up. I love this. Instead of provoking them to anger and to discouragement, to thinking, I can never please my mom and dad. I just can't wait to get out of here. Here's how we ought to be. We ought to nurture them. We ought to love them. I love this word, bring them up. It's the same word used of a husband with his wife. Look at this. Bring them up. Nourish and nurture them. Calvin uses this word, he says, to bring them up. It's like, let them be kindly cherished. Love them. We saw a man yesterday, reminded me of myself. He's ripped to shreds. He's a really big guy coming out of Walmart. Not, not one amen, but anyway. I mean, this guy, I mean, this guy comes out. You know, and those guys, they show off. They wear the tight shirts. They know, it. they know they have the muscles. And he walks out of Walmart, and he's got this little baby in his arms. That's a man. That's a man. A man who knows how to be tender with a child. A man who knows how to get on the floor and play Johnny on a Pony. So one of our favorite little games there. Until I threw two kids off and they hit their heads and that wasn't too good. We won't go there. A man that knows how to kiss his kids. I couldn't believe I was in, I was in Iowa. They had, they had a couple of little kids and they never kissed their kids. How do you not kiss your kids? My kids are like, Dad, we're getting a little... Oh, give me a... I love it. You kiss your kids. You hug your kids. I kissed my father until he died. I was in my 20s. You kiss... You kiss, I mean, You guys are like, wow, these kids, this guy's nuts. No, you kiss him. I know some of you from the Midwest. And you're like, yeah, there's my kid. He's way over there. No, no, you kiss him. You hug him. You hold him. You nourish them. You nurture them. I'm not saying you spoil them. I'm saying you show them affection. For some, that means cuddle me. Ellie was never that. I, I was so surprised. She was born and we were trying to hold her and all that. And she put her head back. She didn't want to be held. All right, Ellie, you're not that. Johnny was that. And more. And more. In fact, when we were in the hospital the first time when Johnny had RSV, he cried for me to hold him, not his mother. It was amazing. And he sat there with a the little IV sucking his thumb. I'll never forget. I remember being, when they were younger, I would say, who wants to be held? And I would hear, the diaper, the diaper. And here comes Johnny, Johnny out of his room. And he would jump on my back and he just, he wanted to be held. It goes so by so quick. I cry when I think of these things. For some of them, it just means time with them, being with them. They just say, will you just spend some time with me? For others, it's a gift. I should have stock and Build-A-Bear right now. <laughs> One of our kids just loves Build-A-Bear. Build-A-Bear. Gifts mean everything. Words of encouragement mean some, some are so insecure that they just need to be told it's going to be okay. I remember one time one of our kids came into the bedroom and said, I'm scared, I'm scared, I'm scared. And I said, come here. And they just put their head under my armpit and knocked them. Well, that knocked them out. But <laughs> they, put their, they put their head under my armpit and just started to snore. They just wanted daddy there. Some kids just want that. They want a word. This is a nurture and nourish them. Now, the text is going to give us two strong ways on how to do this. As we nurture and nourish them, and this gets really hard. The first one I hate, discipline. 
Look at the word. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So really what it talks about is the discipline here is the unpleasant deterrence of disobedience. Our, our children need to understand that there are consequences for sin. And that life is just not going to go just the way they want if they keep doing the things that don't please God. And that, that, that there's consequences like a forfeit of blessings or difficulties in life or even death if they continue down that path. They need to understand that. Or even worse than death, eternal hell if they don't accept Jesus Christ. And so he talks about discipline. And this, this word here literally means an unpleasant deterrence of disobedience. We, we see it in the Proverbs. It talks about a rod. Now we need to be careful with this. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but what does help him? The rod of discipline. Now, it's not saying that you grab a stick and you start spanking them when they're 20. It's not saying that. we got to be careful with this word. Sometimes it is a spanking, especially when they're younger. And it's in the place that God has provided for a spanking. Amen? And it's controlled, spirit-filled spanking. But oftentimes, now as they get older, the spanking's gone. And now there's different things that you have to do, like maybe take a cell phone away or not let them out to be with their friends or do something to deter the disobedience. Or really, let me say, let me say this, hit them where it hurts. I'm not talking about physically. Something that really matters to them. Because sometimes we do disobedience, we say, okay, I'm going to take yourself. I don't care, take my cell phone, I don't need it. Well, that didn't hurt them. Okay, I'm going to take cell phone away and now game time. No, don't take my game time away. That hurts. Or now you can't go out and do... Uh, uh, now it hurts. Here's why we do that. Not because we want to hurt our children. None of us want to hurt our children. I hope that's not the heart. If you have a heart of hurting your children, something's wrong. We don't want to hurt them. We want to help them. Be all that God wants them to be. And at times, it hurts to help them. And so the rod of discipline, you know what I love about this verse? It removes that foolishness where? Far from them. All of a sudden, they start to realize, you know what? Disobedience is not so pleasant that I really do need to understand. And you know what it really does that we don't understand? It, it, it shows them how much we need Jesus. Do you see where your heart's taking you? Do you understand where your heart can take you? Do you know how much we need Jesus? We all fail. And foolishness is bound up in our heart. We have the tendency to be lazy. We have the tendency to do these things. Somebody says, I'll never do that. I don't like discipline. I'll never do that. But I love my kid. Look what the proverb says. Next proverb. He who withholds the rod, what, what does he do to his son? He doesn't love him. That's not love. That's hate. That's laziness on our part. That's just not wanting to deal with it. But really, if we look at it as like God looks at it, this is an opportunity to share Christ with them and show them the grace of Christ when we do this. And so that's the hard part of it, the discipline part that no one really likes to do. But if we nurture and love them and, and we, we want to take care of them, we're going to discipline them. We're going to put things in their path to show them that, that, that disobedience does not please God, that disobedience leads down the wrong path. That disobedience, ultimately a continual pattern, a, a life of disobedience, something's wrong. 
How can the Spirit of God be in that person if there's this constant, consistent, no, no repentance in their hearts? Something's wrong. And so we bring them to Christ. It's a wonderful opportunity. But look at the next thing. Not only is the discipline there, we bring them up in discipline, but we bring them up in what? Instruction of the Lord. This is spiritual instruction, spiritual guidance, spiritual guidance that comes from the parents. Notice this. Here are the wonderful things that we can teach our children. Here's a great thing. Teach them that there's nothing better in this world than being a Christian. I mean, is there anything better in this world than being saved? But sometimes we live like, oh, look at me, I'm drunk. There is nothing better. You're saved. Amen. So show that to them. Wow, this is a great life. Oh yeah, things are going on. I'm saved by God's grace. It's a wonderful life. Show them that marriage and family are gifts from God to enjoy. Treat them as gifts. Show them, teach them to control their words. These are all in Proverbs. Teach them to choose their friends carefully. And Proverbs is very simple. You hang around fools, you're going to be a fool. You hang around a wise person, you're going to be wise. Pick. And especially when it comes to a mate. Watch out. Right? You guys know my three requirements. They're very simple, but they're biblical. And they're, they're straightforward. My future in-law needs to love God. Amen? We want that, don't we? They need to love my kid. Amen? We want that. And they need to love me. All right? That is the most important part. All right? I can care less if they love God and love my kid if they don't love me because they're marrying a family. And there's a lot of us, so don't mess with us. All right, they got to choose their friends carefully. And then look at this next one. They teach them to work hard. This is all part of... How many Proverbs are about the, the ant and the, and the lazy person? Teach them to manage their money wisely. Teach them that now. Teach them to guard their heart above all things. The biggest battleground is their heart. And teach them to love those around them. You say, you know what? What if I don't do it? What if I don't teach him all these things? What if I just leave him alone? Let him figure it out for himself. Someone else will. Some of you know Lynette Fromm, also known as Squeaky Fromm. Nice young lady who, when she was a kid, started getting into drugs, starting to make the wrong path. Her father threw her out. Couldn't deal with her anymore. So she gets, goes somewhere else. She's sitting there, lonely, waiting for a bus. And who comes off the bus? Charles Manson. Charles Manson looks at her and says, your, father, your parents threw you out, didn't they? And she goes, yeah, you must be a prophet or something. You must, how did you figure that out? And she gave her life to him. And the things that she started to do after that, even trying to assassinate President Ford. What if it was an evangelist? What if it was a pastor that got off that bus and said, young lady, you look a little distressed. You want to come to a Bible study? We're here for you. How her life would have been different. You see, if you don't do it, somebody will. Somebody will intervene. Satan knows how to put that person in their lives. And then they say, well, my, my, my family never talked about this stuff. I don't even know what's true. No, no, here, I'll tell you what's true. Come follow me. You see, we, we use a verse, and I want to show you this verse here. 
to put a lot of guilt on parents. And this verse is not to put guilt on any parent. Look at this verse. Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. People take this verse as a promise. First of all, it's a proverb. It's not a promise. Second of all, what kind of a promise is it? All right, have I trained my child up now? When he is really old, he'll come back to Jesus. How can I, That ain't a promise. I don't want him to come back to Jesus when he's 90. What kind of a promise is that? Really, here's what's an interesting thing about this verse that we put a lot of pressure on, on people. You know the words he should go are not in the Hebrew? So really what it's teaching here in this verse is train up a child in the way. What way? Well, obviously it's the Lord's way if we want to do what's right, but this is a sarcastic verse. This is train, let your child have his way. Everywhere in, in, in the Proverbs, when it speaks of way, and it talks about way when it comes to a foolishness of a child, it talks about the wrong way. So here's what it's saying in this passage. You let your child do what he wants and have his way. Just let him go his way. Go the own way. Don't intervene. Leave him alone. Leave her alone. Guess what? When he's old, he'll keep doing the same thing. But if you rescue if you intervene, if you do what God has called you to do, things may be different. No promise, but things may be different. This is a rescue verse. This is a warning to parents. This, this verse is really telling us, if you don't do anything for your child, guess what? Your child will never change. But if you're an instrument of God's grace, maybe or maybe not, I wish there was a guarantee here. But this is a proverb, not a promise. This is not, hey, if you just intervene and discipline them and give them the deterrence that they do and teach them spiritual things, they're going to turn out right. No, nope, there's no, I wish there was a promise like that in the Bible. There's not. You know why? Because each individual is responsible for their own relationship with God. And we could live it in front of them, but we can't live it for them. I wish we could. I wish I had that power. I wish I could just throw water on them and they're different. I can't. I wish I, wish I, had, I had the power to change. I don't. All I could do is live in front of them. They have to live it before the Lord. You say, where that's in the Bible? Study the kings. You'll see some kings that had really strong relationships with God and their children were disasters. Why? Because each child is responsible before God. What I don't want to do is get in the way of that. And what I don't want to do is lead them down that path for that. I want to help do all I can for them to show them how wonderful it is to be a Christian. But at the end of the day, they have to make the decision before God. So you want to know what successful parenting is? I like what uh, Marshall Siegel says. Real, real success in parenting is taking today's step in steadfast obedience to God's word. By prayerful dependence on God's strength, with open-handed faith in God's plan, always relinquishing the short-term and long-term, even eternal results, to God's will. You know what it is? 
It's going before the Lord and saying, Lord, help me to do what you want me to do today. Help me not to cause them to get angry. Help me to bring them up in the way that you want me to bring them up. But Lord, at the end of the day, they're yours. And Lord, if, if they respond right, you get the glory. If they respond wrong, Lord, I don't want to take all the guilt and all the things that people put on parents and say, it's your fault. Your kid is, is all up, messed up and all upset and all this stuff. No, we don't want to put all that on them because there's no guarantee. But help me to take the responsibility I need to take. And what you want me to do, Lord, is to nurture them and bring them up in your ways. And then at the end of the day, Lord, help them to trust in you. I've seen a lot of parents on both sides of that verse. I've seen a lot of parents say, well, I brought them to Sunday school. I took them to church. I took them to everything. And look how great they turned out. And I've seen parents say the same thing with tears in their eyes. I brought them to Sunday school. I took them to church. And look how bad they turned out. What did I do? And really what you have to say is before God, that's not your, that's not your burden to bear. Your burden to bear is to do what God wants you to do. And that is to what? Discipline and bring them up. And in the end, you allow God to take care of the rest. Isn't that beautiful? At the end of that, they all come in. Let's pray and then we'll get our hearts ready for communion. Father God, as we come before you, we realize, Lord, how inadequate we are as parents, as teachers, as youth pastors, as pastors, as coaches. We can't change anyone's heart, but you can. So help us to be an instrument in your hands. Help us to nurture the children that you bring into our lives, to really love them in the way that you do. For each one, it's different, Lord. And help us, Father, not to provoke them or drive them to frustration and anger and discouragement. But help us, Lord, to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of you. Help us, Lord, to be that instrument during those times when we're tired and we don't want to say anything more. To get off the couch and be that instrument of grace and love and not selfish desire. Help us, Lord, when we're tired at night after a long day of work and our child asks us a spiritual question that we're able to answer that question and to take time to be there and to show them the way. Because if not, someone else will. And not the one that you want. Not the one that you put into their lives to do it. So Father, help us. Help us to intervene. And we thank you so much for your goodness and grace because we thank you that Jesus Christ intervened for us while we were walking down the path of disobedience. 
destined for wrath. Christ came and died on a cross, was buried and rose again to stop us from doing that. And you're a father that loves us so much that you won't allow us to do what we want. You intervene. And no discipline seems present at the, at, at the time, but Lord, you use it to, to, to perfect us, to help us, Lord, to be all that you want us to be. So help us to realize that as well. We love you, we need you, and we praise you. Help our hearts right now as we get into the communion time and remember all that Jesus has done for us and will do for us. We pray in his name, amen. amen. If you have your Bibles, um,